runasradio.com, you're listening to Run As Radio, the internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell. This is Brandon Wen announcing show number 624, IPv6 in 2019 with guest Ed Horley. Recorded Thursday, January 10th, 2019. Run As Radio is produced each week by Pop Productions, providing professional media and podcasting services online at pwop.com. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash runasradio. Thank you, Brendan. This is Richard Campbell. Thanks for listening to Run As Radio, bringing back one of my favorite guests. It's been, holy man, two years? And check out this new bio. Ed Horley is the co-founder of Hexabuild, focusing on advancing cloud, IoT, and security with IPv6. He is the author of Practical IPv6 for Windows Administrators from APRESS, and he's a plural site author. And he's the current co-chair of the California IPv6 Task Force on the Technical Advisory Board for Infoblocks in their IPv6 Center of Excellence and speaks internationally on IPv6 at various conferences. Welcome back, sir. I leave you alone for two years and you change everything. I change everything, yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> hey, it's still V6, right? It's still IPv6. Still doing cloud, so that's all good. We did our first show together in 2011 talking about IPv6, so eight years ago. Yeah, it's been a long time. And it's, uh, uh, thanks for having me back, by the way. Uh, I'm glad to have you on. It's, it's been too long, honestly, really. <laughs> well, hey, I can't match Jeffrey Snover or Stephen Rose for how many times being on your show. <laughs> and Manassie, too. Manassie's got big numbers. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, uh, Mark's, yeah. Mark's got a lot of them up there. He's got a ton of them, though. Supposedly, he's retired. I don't know how long that's going to last, but... Uh, uh, I don't know if retirement suits Mark. Uh, maybe Mark suits retirement, but... <laughs> yeah, my, my argument has been, I am retired. This is me goofing off. Uh, good point. <laughs> <laughs> what is a hexabuild? I haven't heard this term before. Oh, it's just, you know, for the name for the company, we were talking about building things with IPv6. So we right. got hexa and build. So it's just sort of a natural thing. You're going to build clouds, you're going to build IoT, you got to build nice secure networks. So hexabuild just allows us to sort of talk about IPv6 and that's the way forward and build on top of it. So services specifically focused on IPv6, you are really putting your money where your mouth is. This is the job. Yeah. Yeah. It was time to dive off the deep end and, <laughs> and go for it. But yes, we're consulting, training, education, the whole bit around uh, IPv6 really sort of targeted for those Fortune 1000s because they're, they're the laggards. They're the ones left over sitting around scratching their head going, what the heck happened to, to the rest of the world because everyone else has moved. So, <laughs> so what does an enterprise notice that makes them think maybe we need IPv6? Like, what are they missing out on? Well, there's a couple of things that, that happens right away. I think the, the big thing is understanding the big picture about what's going on worldwide around adoption. So, you know, the cloud providers now all have IPv6 available. So, you know, AWS, Azure, Google, along with a lot of the others that may not be as mainstream, DigitalOcean, you know, um, software from IBM. Sure. All have v6 enabled. And if you want to build an IoT platform and you're really looking at that and you want to be on, you know, 4G, 5G service and you want to be able to deliver that, uh, v6 is really the way to go. Um, there's some interesting things about uh, like, you know, mobile providers, T-Mobile. If you're on an iPhone on T-Mobile, you're on IPv6 only. Right. You don't, you don't even have v4. So, so, so it's one of those strange cases where you're actually going to be better off to, to deploy maybe your IoT service in AWS or in Azure with an IPv6 public address available to ingest all that stuff because the mobile the mobile phone provider is, you know, 
that you're probably operating at your remote site is probably v6 and providing everything v6 anyway interesting yeah, I mean, so, is that, that ultimately manifests as a performance impact that they have to go through the IPv4 gateway because you're not up to speed? Yeah, someone else has to translate for you. So right. that's the thing. T-Mobile has to translate from V6 to V4 for you on your behalf, and you don't have any control over that. Right. So if, if it were me, I, I'd rather have more control and just talk native native language one into the other. You don't have to have someone translating. So I think that's 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 a big plus. And, you know, the content providers are all done with V6. The major internet providers are all done with V6. I, you know, Facebook, Google, everyone else, Netflix, Yahoo. Um, I don't know who else anyone else uses. YouTube, I guess YouTube's a big one. <laughs> but all that, all that content's available on V6. So when you look at the mobile phone provider stats and all the mobile providers, at least here in the U.S., domestic U.S., if you want to talk about that, you know, Verizon, AT&T, Sprint, and T-Mobile, they're all well above 70% and even larger in some cases for, for V6 capabilities. So I think T-Mobile is at like 95%. The only stuff that's left over at the, that you're trying to scrape the bottle and the barrel to get rid of is like old flip phones and like weird symbian <laughs> stuff like that that they just can't get off the network that are probably still like 2G or something, you know, but... Um, yeah, it's it's a pretty big transformation for the rest of the industry, and and uh, I like to I like to sort of refer to it as like everything else around the enterprise has changed to V6, and then we're left with this crusty old stuff in the middle from all these Fortune and, and some commercial companies who just haven't moved because they don't understand that the rest of the world has moved around them. Um, that's that's sort of the the problem that they face at least uh, today. Um, but they're starting to realize that like their applications should really be deployed that way. VPN services. So we had a, I actually had a customer who their corporate executive team traveled overseas and actually ended up on a V6 only network and it looked like the rest of the internet worked for them because they were trying to get to, you know, Office 365. They could get to that just fine. They right. could get to Google and YouTube and everything they were testing, Facebook, it all worked. They couldn't VPN back to their corporate network because <laughs> right? so their corporate network wasn't dual stack. So they couldn't use V6 to be able to get back to anything. So uh, some people got yelled at when he got back home. But well, and, and that old reflex was it going back to to Win Seven of just turn off the IPv6 stack? That's just a mistake. Yeah, it's a flat out mistake this day and age. Uh, it's definitely it's 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 actually harder and harder to do <laughs> with the newer version of Windows. Right after Vista, it's it's pretty much you have to you have to do a Herculean effort to to turn off v6. So right. why bother? Yeah. But um, the transition protocols though have changed. So it used to be in Windows that you had a bunch of transition protocols like mm-hmm. uh, Teredo and Isotap and six to four. Right. And uh, with the creator with the creators update for Windows ten. They actually shut all those off. They said, look, we don't need any transition mechanisms anymore in, in the host operating system. You, we just have IPv4 and IPv6 and you should, you, you shouldn't have to, you know, the, the carriers are providing this. Your enterprise team should provide this for you. You shouldn't need to have these sort of capabilities built into the operating system anymore. Let's make everyone's life a little simpler, a little less to learn, makes it a little easier on the help desk teams and everyone else. And let's just make it IPv4 and IPv6 and get rid of these transition transition mechanisms because we just don't need them anymore. There's enough V6 adoption not to require it. So but do you need that for bridging at all? Like, is any of that important anymore? Not really. Really? <laughs> that's that's why they took it out. Right. You know, honestly, it just wasn't just wasn't needed anymore. I mean, if you are we just starting to run out of devices that don't speak IPv6? Yeah, it's it's just it's not even a don't speak IPv6. It's really like, look, there's enough V6 capable services available today, and if you don't have it, you're just going to talk V4 and and if you need to talk to a V6 service, hopefully if someone's put a translation service in there. Right. Um, and then if you're on V6, the translation services from the carriers are already provided. They're doing, you know, NAT64, DNS64. They're doing 646X, LAT, or CLAT um, within the phones. That's how they do it. So 
that stuff's all taken care of. So if you're a V6 only client, you can at least get to V4 resources. And that's probably the majority where folks fit. So like your T-Mobile handset, uh, that's how they're doing it. That's right. how they're providing it globally. So, yeah. Yeah, I wonder if it's the the mobile providers that are ultimately driving this because they are the most prevalent device, at least in the consumer space. But you know, yeah, and there's no they really are. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and the thing you have to remember is, uh, you know, we're out of V4. They have nothing left to sell. Yeah, there is nothing to buy. And I was wondering when I asked you the question about enterprise, it's like because you can't buy V4 addresses that you want anymore. Well, you can. You can buy really dirty V4 address space that was used by some spamming agency back in the day, and it's been <laughs> it's reclaimed. Like, it's on all sorts of blacklists and and you know flagged everywhere for being insecure and you can go those and hopefully sit on them for two to three years and see if you can wait for them to purge out of whatever system they're in and maybe maybe go try and use them um i think amazon just bought a slash nine or so oh really yeah they just bought a big slash nine block allocation uh i don't know i think back in the envelope math that was like a 330 million dollar purchase or something (laughs) wow yeah, so it's, it's it's pretty significant. I mean, it's not cheap to be able to go out and get that sort of address space, but all the cloud providers need it, right? Because they're going to continue to grow even in the V4 space sure. uh, for what they need to do on the public public internet side. And it's very interesting to think in terms of when when will a cloud provider start adding services that are only available in IPv6? Yeah, I think you're going to start to see that probably in the next few years because it, it just seems to naturally make sense. Mm-hmm. Because if all the mobile providers are automatically providing V6, so you know every single handset's going to have V6 on it no matter what. So your iPhone, your your Android device on whatever network you're on is going to support V6. Why wouldn't you just write your app to just ingest everything on V6 and not go through a translation service? You know you're going to be able to talk to all of them. You can obviously dual stack them so you can make them available on V4 and V6. Right. So you solve both problems. It's like, yeah, you know, so you're going you're to start seeing more and more, especially in the IoT, I think in the IoT space, it just naturally makes sense to do that. Uh, are the are consumer ISP services being provided IPv6 pretty much across the board now, or is that, is that the laggard? No, so so actually they're 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 well on their way. So, I mean, if, if you're talking about the, for instance, like the cable providers like Comcast yeah. or, or Rogers up in, in Canada or right. Charter, they all have good adoption rates. Uh, Comcast, I think, is above, is above or close to seventy percent adoption across the board for them. Uh, Charter's a little further behind. I think they're in the probably the forty percent range. Rogers is in the sixty percent range, so it's pretty significant in terms of the overall adoption for them. That's a lot of people, right? When you add up Comcast, Rogers, and Charter in terms of just North American footprint, sure. And uh, and the rest of them are are you know Cox and you know Time Warner. All have their uh, all have their initiatives and are moving pretty well on on theirs. I don't have their numbers off the top of my head, but they're they're pretty close on that one. So you know, it's I think residential done. You know, CDNs done. <laughs> you know, internet service providers done. Cloud providers done. It's like yeah. the, everything else. It's all done. It's 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 literally just a fortune sitting around saying like, well, you know, is this something we can tackle or not? And and I think they're starting to realize as as you know, folks from home are trying to work from home. Right. Hey, they've got V6 available to them. How come you aren't allowing a VPN in? More importantly is, is, is you're not really making it secure. So if you have a security posture that's important to you, that you're pushing out policies that basically say, oh, I expect, I expect the end user to full tunnel back to the corporate office to control everything they're doing. Well, if your VPN is only available on V4 and you're only writing a V4 routing rule and that user's got V6 available at home and they do a DNS lookup for Office 365. They just use V6 natively. They don't go across your tunnel at all. <laughs> right. Yeah. No kidding. You have no clue. You don't see their traffic at all. It just goes straight out. Same thing with Facebook and everything else. So I just did a show in the fall with uh, Richard Hicks 
And he was talking yeah. about how Microsoft's new always on VPN no longer has a V6 dependency. Like yep. the, where direct access required V6, like it was just not an option. And now they're kind of moving away from that, which I find interesting at the same time that V6 is at a height. Microsoft's now implementing a product where it's like, ah, we don't really care. Well, they shouldn't. They shouldn't have done that on, on I don't think they should have done that on direct access the first time, except for it was a unique moment in time for allow them to sort of say like, well, we can fully can control it because we can implement something that most other people haven't done yet. <laughs> but, so security so, for you, obscurity, obscurity kind of concept? A bit, yeah. There was a bit of that. Plus, you know, hey, it's, it's um, uh, we're tunneling a protocol that most people don't know how to use. So it's sort of a little, it was a little bit subversive in, in that way. Um, but yeah, Richard's, Richard's great. He, he was a, he was one of the reviewers for my book. So, uh, he's, he's super sharp on, on, yeah, no kidding. on all the Microsoft, uh, VPN technologies and what they got going on. Yeah. And okay, certainly somebody I count on to help me keep up on uh, what's going on there as well. Yeah. They're changing stuff all the time. I mean, the, the stuff that they're putting in the host operating system and now with all the, you know, all the new releases for DNS over, you know, what is DNS over HTTPS, DNS over TLS. So what is that? Dot and Doe. <laughs> is that yeah. Dot and Doe. And uh, yeah, all the new, all the new stuff coming out. It's, it's pretty amazing. I think uh, it's Microsoft's definitely pushing the envelope in terms of what they're providing for client connection capable capabilities and, and giving you like uh, sort of split configurations between Office 365 and, and uh, on-prem. It's, it's cool. They're doing good work. Hybrid seems to be the way, like we just, most folks I know that had an existing infrastructure, it's not going away. So they, they're moving stuff into the cloud, but it's always a mixture of both. That's just sort of reality. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it's interesting because now we're in this sort of unique moment in space and time where really VPNs are sort of one of those things that I sort of consider still legacy because there's so much operating just purely on the internet today with the right sort of protocol. Right. Security support. It's like, Everything I use cloud-wise, I don't worry about any of that stuff anymore. I just like I just connect to it and look. You know, I don't VPN anywhere that it, I don't really need to for all the services that I need to consume. I'm just straight on the internet and I'm ready to go. Uh, that's probably will change a little bit as I travel international to maybe get some VPN services back to the US, <laughs> so I can. Yeah, it's more can, about uh, disguising your locale than it is actually yes, quote unquote exactly. security. Exactly. Yeah, that's true. And and keeping keeping certain bad actors from snooping in terms of like your DNS lookups and right. things like that. I think that's where Dot and Doe are really going to make a big difference for uh, who owns and controls the DNS server to understand what you're looking up and what namespaces you're asking for. Yeah, and how you and how you're actually looking them up. Yeah, and that doesn't matter. V four, V six, that's the same, right? So. Yeah. Um, there's nothing really new or or interesting in, in terms of how that works, but it definitely definitely impacts what what can happen in terms of how much you let you know your DNS provider actually snoop into what you're what you're uh, what you're perusing on the internet. Yeah, where you're actually looking. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, you can find out a lot of information about a person that way. Oh yeah, no, no question. Just looking through their DNS lookups is not a small thing, and it's funny how you know, in some ways broken DNS is just that, the, that there's a reason we're exploring all these new options. It was never built to be a secure protocol. It's, it's not good at it and it's uh, fragile. Yeah. But you know, it's, I wouldn't say, I'd say DNS is pretty robust as a large scale distributed database, um, which effectively is what it is. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it does a pretty good job at scale for, for, and, and considering how long it's, it's lasted to support doing the services that, that are required for the internet on the, on the backbone side. Right. For yeah. It's persisted a long time, time but it, uh, without some significant attacks and things that have happened over the years. Sure. Too. Sure. Sure. 
But I mean, it's, it's, I would say it's relatively elegant for, for, for a simple and, 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 and for providing the service that it does. It, it's definitely got, you know, security holes, just like everything does. I, I mean, we're, there's a reason we're not using finger and gopher anymore. Right. But, yeah. um, but I think, you know, in terms of longevity, I, I tip my hat to the folks on the DNS side. They did a pretty phenomenal job yeah, I mean, uh, making something that, that really lasted the lifetime of the architecture for, for what the internet needs. Unlike V4. <laughs> and scaled and scaled and scaled. Unlike V4. But, you know, they knew V4 was going to hit the wall a long, long time ago just because we didn't take it on quickly. And just, you know, think of all the twists and turns we did to V4 along the way to keep it alive as long as it has. Yeah, we've done a fantastic job engineering around the the structural deficiencies that were in V4. We 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 think of that as a natural evolution of about where V4 is today, but the reality is, is at the time that was it was never intended to do what it's doing today. No, not even close. And Ed, yeah. I'm going to interrupt you for one moment for this very important message. This episode of Run As is brought to you by SQL Intersection. Eight full-day workshops and over 40 technology-focused sessions make SQL Intersection a unique source of the best information around SQL Server from real-world consultants and members of the SQL Server team. You'll learn proven problem-solving techniques and technologies you can implement immediately, as well as learn about the future of SQL Server. Get answers to performance monitoring, troubleshooting, designing for scale and performance, cloud, as well as new features in the latest version of SQL Server 2019. It's time to determine your migration strategy, and SQL Intersection is the place to figure out the best way to do it. Come to SQL Intersection at the Swan Hotel in Orlando, June 10th to 13th. Use code RUNAS to get your discount on your registration at SQLintersection.com. And we'll see you there. And we're back. It's Richard Campbell here on RUNAS Radio, talking to my friend Ed Horley about... Well, it's the enterprises getting into IPv6. So what are the considerations for an enterprise? Ooh, there's some really cool ones. Mm-hmm. So the ones that I'm excited about are things like um, if you're growing fast as a company, merger and acquisitions are really hard, especially with like merging networks and, and things like that, oh, even yeah. if you want to move to cloud. And so V6 just gives you the freedom to have so much address space and networks that you just don't have that constraint. You're not wasting human capital and time trying to figure out how to readdress, how to, you know, do I have enough space uh, in my network block to allocate, to give to this company and to be able to, for us to acquire them and put them in operations within our environment. All those questions just disappear. So it shortens the time frame to be able to do certain things. So I think that one's really unique uh, in terms of sort of something that's very different versus a V4 way of thinking is talking about mergers and acquisitions because that's pretty unique. I think the other spaces that are that are important for enterprises is saying, you know, if you're a company in the innovation cycle around providing products, solutions, and technology, uh, do you really only want to be on 50% of the internet? Right. <laughs> or 25%, depending on where you are in the world. But 50% of the, of the folks in the U.S. are are using V6 today. Right. If you're only on V4, well, granted, most of the locations are dual stack. They'll fall back to V4 and still be able to get to you. But is that a really good business continuity plan? And does that match what your actual business needs are? And I would probably say that most folks, the answer is no, right? That leaving part of the addressable market alone because you're too lazy to deploy V6 just doesn't make a lot of sense. And it's pretty easy to turn it up at the edge. You just internet peer for V6, get your address allocation. And even if you don't want to deploy it internally uh, across your entire network, you can at least turn up your edge services and make your mail service, DNS, you know, VPN, and a bunch of other services available uh, over V6, your website, et cetera. I mean, all of all the major CDNs make this easy. Right. Cloudflare has V6 enabled by default if you use Cloudflare just to enable your website. Uh, you don't even get a choice. It's just It turns it on and makes it available on V6 too. 
uh, Akamai and you know, you know, all the others are doing are doing something similar. So, you know, the those those pure content providers when Akamai, Cloudflare, AWS, Fastly, Limelight, Azure, I think I mentioned quite a few there. Yeah. They all have these six available. And that's yeah. that's really the fast and easy and quick way to go ahead and get services turned up. And that just guarantees that folks that are on all these mobile networks can get to you no matter what. And uh, that just seems to make sense. If you want to do business with folks who are on mobile platform, <laughs> turn on turn on V6, right? And and that's how that's that's the quick easy button to get there. But then when you start looking at it more in depth, you're like, okay, well, how do I test and know that people can reach me on V6? Then you're like, oh, my help test team or my QA and testing team needs to have some IPv6. How do I get it to them? Well, you can choose. You can send everyone home and use their Comcast connection at home, or have them use their mobile handset while they're running around off your Wi-Fi net because your Wi-Fi doesn't have it. Um, or you can start enabling V6 internally so that they can go out and do that stuff. So it starts. It sort of becomes like this natural progressive need of like, okay, I've got more services that are turning up. I need some way to test it. Folks are asking to use it because they need to develop on top of it. So then it becomes this natural sort of progression of like, okay, we need to get some more stuff turned up on V6 here. But it's it's not overnight. You need to have an adoption strategy and a plan, just sure. like with any project. So I don't think that's particularly unique. But that's that's where I, at least the few engagements I'm working on, <laughs> all right, that's where I see the natural progression of why an enterprise is starting to look at it. And do you find when we're using IPv6 internally, is it just flattening the network out? Do we really need to do a lot of routing and separation anymore? Like, does that mean anything in the IPv6 world? Sure, it still means stuff. I mean, routing is routing, and I think that mm-hmm. that still has its place. And uh, you just don't worry about how many hosts you have on a network anymore. Right. I remember that. Remember the days where you're sitting there calculating, like, "Ooh, well, this network, I, I don't have enough address space, so yeah. I'm gonna have to build a a smaller subnet." And how many how many hosts do we have in there? Well, we got 16 hosts, so yeah. maybe I can allocate X amount of space, right? Like yeah. all those calcs. Yeah, just forget them. You just assign a slash 64, and you're done. Yeah. And uh, so you don't have to think about that. You all you have to think about is how many networks do you want to operate, and uh, and that's very freeing, and uh, certainly makes frees you up to do all sorts of interesting things in terms of like security policies and and uh, maybe IoT, um, uh, making it a lot easier to, you're not constrained by how many hosts, quote unquote, that you might have. Right. Uh, and and that, that's that's the freedom side of, of V6, which is a totally different discussion of getting out of IPv4 mindset thinking. But uh, yeah, it's it's definitely, you're still going to be routing traditional, doing traditional routing, everything else. But uh but you're you're definitely getting some of the advantages of having a, an abundance of both host space uh, addresses, but also an abundance of networking address space to utilize. Yeah, and you, and you don't you just don't have to think about I'm going to break these into subnets just because it's simpler for address space. They can be yeah. in one group if you're happy. Yeah, just do the slash sixty four and you're done. <laughs> Even on a point to point link, you only need two addresses. Give it a slash sixty four. Is the networking hardware keeping up as well? Like, are people still using old gear that that doesn't handle IPv six well? Sure, there's. You still need to do an assessment to determine if you have something really ancient on your network that may not support it. But today, for anything you're buying that's modern, you're just not going to have that issue. Um, people have the, all the major network op, uh, manufacturers have have addressed it within their product line, and uh, you can definitely deploy V6 in in a scalable way across uh, enterprise and even consumer grade um, uh, equipment now. So I think that's, that's been addressed for, for quite a few years. There's, there's some shortcomings in a few manufacturers. I won't call them out because that's not polite, but, uh, but you should, so you should do a little bit of homework, but yeah, I would say overall, I mean, it's, it's, things have gotten substantially better within the last, you know, three years. It's been, it's been uh, pretty dramatic and we, the assessments that we do are really for much older equipment that might be sitting on the network that may have 
other structural impacts that are impacting it. In other words, it supports V6, but maybe it's a maybe it's a performance thing like how many routes can it hold V4 and V6 simultaneously? Right. And how many routes are you operating and how many do you plan to operate on V6 and will you run into a problem? Do you have enough TCAM? Do you have enough forwarding table? Things like that that, that might actually uh, impact the performance of what happens to your network. Because the last thing you want to do is turn on V6 and then watch your V4 network fall over because you can't hold a, hold as many routes in your route table anymore. Right. So it's just you've got to have a scope of how big all of that is. Exactly. Yeah, that's planning. <laughs> that's that's doing design work and planning and, and and assessing where your equipment is at so that you actually know what you're doing. But, well, and I and I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about the security angle at all. Like, what what do we need to think about from the security perspective with IPv6? Yeah, I always argue that the, the security stuff is, is is sort of like you should be doing the same thing in security and in, in v6 that you're doing in v4. Mm-hmm. My argument about not t- actively managing v6 is that you actually uh, compromise your posture on v4. Right. And the reason why is because if you're not actively managing and doing stuff in v6, you don't have any visibility. V6 is the is, is on by default and it's the preferred protocol. So if someone else maliciously gets in and starts configuring v6 on your network, guess what? They now control your network because all your hosts are going to turn it up. They're all right. going to start using it and you have no control over it because you're not even looking at it. You're your your logging stuff isn't looking at it. You're not looking at it from a security basis, so you have no clue. So it's a great way to run like a you know serotypus network behind the scenes. <laughs> sure, because everything supports it. So yeah, everything if, supports it. So it, you're, it, you're you're just putting yourself in a bad security posture. Even if you don't plan on deploying v6 right away, you should still be looking at it and setting up some basic security posture rules to make sure that you understand and. Uh, what security traffic is flying around or what uh, IPv6 traffic is flying around on your network. Even if it's just link local traffic, you should understand that. You, you want to be at least monitoring it, right? Like, you yeah, know, absolutely. You want to know what's going on in your network. You should want to know that anyway. You should want to know if someone's running IPX on your network, right? For, you know, or SNA or anything else, right? Yeah. Well, it, but it's interesting just to consider the idea that people aren't even watching and it's probably on and it is an exploit factor if somebody get gets into your system in the first place, they could take advantage right. of it, so... Yeah, and it's that, but that's just common sense, right? I mean, I, I don't, you know, you should, I, regardless of V4 or V6, I mean, I think that's just a common sense sort of thing. You would sure. want to know what's running on your network, regardless of, uh, you of would the protocol hope. type that's using. <laughs> it's, but yeah, the, the interesting part is, yeah, you've got a detailed uh, set of rules and, and audits for V4. You should have those for V6. Yeah, there's there's some differences. Your security team is going to have to learn something, God forbid, you know, you have to learn something new. But um, hey, we're learning all of that for our DevOps stuff. We're learning all of that for our automation stuff. We're learning all of that for our cloud stuff. So hey, you know, throw V6 in the mix too. Sure. <laughs> the, the argument then is it's just more surface area that, that, that can be exploited. Yeah, I, I would argue that actually the effort to go through and actually disable V6 across a network is actually probably higher than it is to actually turn on security features and actually enable V6. Sure, I, I would take Because I've done both. I've done both as a project, <laughs> and, and I would say it was far harder to actually go around and turn it all off everywhere than it was to actually just enable and actively make it a managed and used process, and then you're getting all the reports and data about it, and then you know you know if someone's trying to exploit you. It was way it was way easier to turn it on. The argument then is, could we go the other way? Should we start turning off V4 in our internal networks? Ooh, there's an interesting one. So yeah, there's some shops that are actually looking at doing V6 only. Um, right. uh, and principal around them, around the data center side, is Facebook. But I know Microsoft is in the midst of, of evaluating their V6 only planning and what they're doing. So uh, there's some very smart, talented people that are working on the V6 only for Microsoft and what actually needs to happen uh, to make that a reality for them. So. Yeah, it's it's definitely it's a way forward because you have to remember, uh, you know, the whole reason we're trying to get away from V four is 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 the lack of address space and the constraints it puts on us. Right. 
And the the end game is not to be running dual stack. The end game is to be running V6 only. Mm-hmm. Now, the practical reality is we'll be running V4 for a long, long time. Sure. But just like just like for you know all you crazy crazy folks on the development side, you, like, there's certain code you're just never going to get rid of, right? It's running forever. Well, some we, COBOL running someplace on some mainframe, right? Is we, we'd like and, to get rid of it, but. You know, it's it's a challenge to to actually be free. And I think we made the comment early on about hybrid is just reality. It's like, yeah, mm-hmm. we'd like to move fully over the cloud. We just don't ever expect it to be true. And there's always going to be something. Yeah. And it's and, and that's the case with V4 and V6. Right. So there's absolutely there's complete parallels about how that's going to play out. Uh, but over the long haul, um, as more and more of this transition happens uh, for for V6 adoption, you know, the reality is that for every V6 packet that's sent, a V4 packet is not. Right. Uh, because you're choosing between the two. So Hopefully. So, yeah. I mean, it's hopefully, assuming that it's enabled. So um, that means that you're actually going to see a substantial reduction in V4 traffic over time as more and more transitions to V6. And uh, eventually what you'll have is islands of V4 that you'll be tunneling V4 over V6 in order to get it from one endpoint to the other, right. which was how the early portion of V6 started, right? We used to tunnel V6 over V4 in right. order to get it from one location to the other. That's eventually where we'll end up um, on the other side. So we'll have little islands and then, you know, but I, I don't think any service provider wants to run two networking protocols. No, I think the, there is an emphasis of I'm going to embrace V6. It's with an eye to V4 will go away. Yeah. Or we run it as a service. IPv4 as a service, right. which is actually a thing. That's actually, you know, something that's available today for for certain certain service providers is they run IPv4 as a service, and that's how they deliver it to the end user. Uh, but everything else in between is IPv6. But and I got to think if you were starting a major IoT project that you are looking at, you know, you, you're tackling that. Well, how am I going to manage the subnet on that? This would be a place where IPv6 makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and even some of the protocols that are specifically designed for IoT networks, unlike wireless, the, they're designed to help you save battery life and to keep the keep the radios a lot quieter on the network and not as much interruption. Uh, so there's a networking protocol for that's IPv6 related that's designed specifically for that called Six Low Pan. Uh, which is, you know, what it what it sounds like, six low power network, um, and uh, helps to to you know allow those IoT devices to save battery life, to not have as complex an address schema configuration, to figure out where their gateway is a lot easier. And actually, they have uh, a special form of of type of header compression in them, uh, so they don't have to send as many bits. So there's there's all sorts of stuff that's pretty interesting that's that's going on uh, overall. So I think that's the. That's the stuff that uh, I think for IoT is going to sort of change the landscape uh, as more people adopt. And then obviously with with um, uh, with 4G and 5G services, which are all using V6, mm-hmm. that's that's a big change too. Because as we move to edge computing, right, as we start moving compute resources out to these cellular towers and and providing them as a cloud resource, well, how do you, how do you turn up that much service and how do you allocate it out? Well, you just assign a new V6 address, provide those resources there, and you're off to the races. So I think that sort of stuff will will start uh, allowing larger and larger scale V6 deployments to happen, uh, and that becomes more interesting, you know, as an industrial IoT practice. Mm-hmm. As as we start seeing that scale up, that's of great interest to enterprises, right? How do we solve that at scale? Um, and it doesn't matter if you're in manufacturing, it doesn't matter if you're in healthcare, it doesn't matter if you're in agriculture, it doesn't matter if you're in oil and gas. Those things are become very, very important because those sensor systems that give you feedback, right? You want to be able to, you know, do some local intelligence work with them. So that's that edge compute side. And then you want to backhaul all the interesting information back to the cloud. And, you know, V6 just naturally makes sense to make all that work. 
yeah, and lighter weight and smaller footprint and a lot, all the defaults make more sense for the kind of security you're looking for. Like the stack's pretty compelling these days, Ed. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's I, I'm, it's it's fun being able to play in the networking space, but it's amazing what's going on right now in terms of you know seeing these cloud native apps and what's going on and in, in in terms of what they can provide as an end to end solution and just how little amount of code you can put together to actually get something to run. Um, you know, I play on pretty much all the cloud platforms. It's amazing, even someone as rusty and old as me can get an Alexa skill app going on on Amazon. <laughs> I was like, wow, this is pretty cool. Like I can actually get this to work. That's nice. Um, just playing around, which is like, I'm so not a developer. So I, I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, no, it's, it's interesting what the landscape looks like today. So what's next for you? Where can we see you speak? Is there another book coming? How do we stay in touch? Yeah, well, I've got a podcast myself going now, ah, so I've got the IPv6 Buzz podcast going over at the Packet Pushers, which is a lot of fun. So if you want to just hear me ramble about v6 all the time, that's a great place to catch me. Um, I'm going to be speaking at Interop in May in Vegas. Right. Uh, I'll, that conversation is actually be able, going to be about cloud, so it's all about how to quickly, you know, you're you're someone where your executive team walks in the room and says, "In three months, we must be on cloud." And <laughs> so, so it's the quick like, "Hey, this is these are all the things you need to think about. This is how you need to block and tackle in order to get there." And and you know, this should be something you really need to make some more serious decisions about. And the rest of this, you should just you know sort of ignore and run with. Um, so that's that's what I'll be doing for Interop. And outside of that, you know, I'll just be you know sort of popping in and out of conferences on a regular basis. Hopefully, I'll maybe get a chance to actually attend Ignite. For it's been a little while since I've gotten a gotten to sneak in there but uh hopefully hopefully for this next time around i'll be able to do that yeah well ignites uh well they've moved it it's going to be yeah. later in the year but uh i'll be there running the podcasting space as usual well fantastic maybe maybe we could sit down there and do another one but, face to uh, face time what a concept yes. uh i'll yeah. probably plug you into other shows because you're always welcome on my show but connecting with other folks is, you know with the broader podcast community that's really the job is to 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 uh, take folks in that haven't that are aren't normally speaking in a space to be able to reach more spaces yeah very cool <sighs> all right it's not what my high school counselor told me i'll be doing but i think that's the same for you too <laughs> yeah i think it's I, let me I, I guess the way to say it is uh you know because i my, my degree is in civil engineering and i'm definitely not building when in doubt build it stout sort of projects so yeah no not so much like that anymore no ed thanks so much for coming back on the show it's been too long really enjoyed chatting with you thanks so much richard i appreciate it and we'll talk to you next time on run as radio 